wherever you are listening, I want to welcome you back. My name is Grayson Mann, and this is the Man with the Plan podcast, episode 21. 21 episodes down. It feels like a dream. It's insane. I have to always, always, not because I have to, because I want to. Thank you guys for the incredible support. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you're listening, and wherever you get your podcasts. Help us out. Leave us a five-star review. Subscribe or follow us to continue to be updated on what's to come. Thank you guys so much for that support. It means the world every day to check in on how the podcast is doing and the growth that we've continued to have. It's been just a miracle. It's been fantastic. I love you guys. But with that aside, today we're going to talk about March Madness, the start of the NCAA tournament, my personal favorite college playoff system. We're going to talk about the teams that I've never heard of that did some great things, my favorite performances and storylines. I love March Madness. I'm going to stand by my statement with New York, the New York Giants, Joe Judge, after a strong free agency, why I still believe the Giants are going to only get better from here, and then my personal gripe with Georgia football. Why Kirby Smart and the Georgia football program lacks the sense of urgency and who they, were, who they compare to, in my mind. You're going to see why in a bit. Let's start with March Madness. Oh my goodness. I love March Madness. If it's not clear enough, and if you've been listening to the show as we've gone up to the state, I am so enamored with March Madness. It is one of my favorite things in the entire year. I even told my parents we are all watching it. That's the great thing. You can just sit down and you can just binge the March Madness games, and you can just watch it with family. It's so much fun, so much entertainment, the storylines, the players. There's a real, like passion behind it. It's just, it's unexplainable sometimes. I have roommates who love it. I have people that I've bonded with in college that I didn't even really know previously because basketball, college basketball, March Madness. It's just something that you can't describe and I love it so much, but I digress. It is quite the event. So there's just some stuff that I want to cover. Not like, but this guy did this and I, this guy's NBA ready for all this stuff, but I just want to talk about the tournaments back, the feel of it, the atmosphere, my favorite performances, the storylines. I'm not going to get into like specific analytical stuff. It's just more of an emotional take. My other ones will get into more detailed specific. I want to start with Oral Roberts. Yes, I know the memes and I have seen them and we are not going to repeat them because, well, I don't want to get in trouble on this podcast. This would not be the place to make those kind of jokes. If you've seen, if you've been on Twitter or have followed Barstool Sports, you know what I'm talking about. But man, them taking down Ohio State which, being a Clemson fan, is just poetic justice to them. To see them being taken down by a team that I've never heard of. Alright, I've never heard of Oral Roberts. You might be thinking, Grayson, you gotta get out of your little bubble here of these college football teams and these schools. You gotta get and expand your horizons on these schools. But I don't, I never heard of Oral Roberts. That's what I love about this tournament. Just some of these random schools that you've never heard of, or you don't really pay much attention to because they're a smaller school, and I say quote-unquote because... Each school is valuable for its own different reasons, but it helps me see who's out there and like the diamonds and the rough teams. Like Oral Roberts, this program is going to be changed forever by being in the Sweet 16 as a 15 seed. Not only are they going to get a lot of publicity for this, but they got a lot of great players on there, and it, it's just a good roster. They have good team basketball. They shared the ball well. They shoot the ball well, and they're not afraid. A lot of these teams, like these 116-215 matchups, they fall subject to like. In my mind, it's either they're going to compete and then they kind of fall apart near the second half. But this team showed no fear. They were just all around amazing to watch. And it was one of the more fun, entertaining storylines. 
Eastern Washington, and while they didn't beat Kansas, I think it was Tanner Groves. He had like 30-something points. The dude, in some of these schools, the dude, some of these guys don't look the part, and that's nothing as an insult to them. They look like, like one the guy from Loyola Chicago, I made a comment, and if he ends up watching this, dude, you look like you're running an auto shop, not a basketball player, but what do I know? I'm just a freshman college student talking about sports, not actually playing them, but they don't really look the part, and it's just so impressive to see them go out and do what they do because they're so athletic. It's just like a deceiving thing. And I, I guess that comes with the school. You just don't know the, the teams, the players, the rosters. I just enjoy it. I'm like, wow, I don't know who these guys are, but I love watching their story and their passion for basketball because they are the true underdogs. Who doesn't love an underdog story? That is March Madness, especially when you get those Cinderella teams. We have a lot of them this year. I don't know if that's because everybody's on the equal playing field. There's not as much travel. They're all in Indianapolis, so they have to all kind of converge together. And the COVID thing has not really been a problem, which has been a relief. I know VCU, their game got canceled, and that's the only one so far, and I think that's going to be the case moving forward because they're going to be in this area for so long. I don't. It feels like the NBA bubble to me where they've been in there for so long that it feels unlikely that they'll have problems. But another one was Abilene Christian. They lost today, excuse me, in the round of 32, but they played really well against Texas, a team that many were viewing as dangerous going into the tournament, that they could make some sort of run. And they were playing a really great defense. They had an Instagram post about this guy that didn't play a single minute, but was super hype on the bench. That's what I love that they've kept. These guys are able to stay on the bench and be able to do their defense chants and get super hyped. That's what I love when a game's super close and everybody's the camaraderie. Everyone's getting together and you're just there for the moment. It's all March Madness is a string of unforgettable moments that you'll remember for the rest of your sports life. As long as you're watching March Madness, you can go to a certain tournament date. It was me, my friend Addison, and my brother-in-law, Reed, and we sat there for 20 minutes and we talked about the moments that we remember. The Villanova shot, the Texas A&M comeback and the choke, or you remember Gonzaga and North Carolina and the finals, or Auburn making the big run in the final four. <laughs> Wesley, if you're watching this, shout out to you and your hilarious Snapchat videos. That's the final four. Ah, Oh, it was great. My favorite story is Loyola Chicago. They are back. Sister Jean and the homies, as we like to call them. They took down Illinois. They're going back to the Sweet 16. They are a fun team to watch. There's a guy, I think it's Avery Williamson. He looks the part. He looks like a good basketball player, like NBA material. But there's another guy on there. It's their center. And I swear, this dude doesn't look, I see dude and like so casual. But March Madness is so special that I'm just like, I get too excited. And so I start using things that I probably shouldn't as a podcaster. But it's just like, I'm like, oh, this is so much fun. And the dude does not look like a center. He just looks like an average Joe, and he gets out there, and he drops like 20 points. I'm like, wow, all right. I couldn't do that in the gym. It's just, <laughs> it's fantastic. It's insane. It's crazy. And then my most electric team is Oregon. I watched them today against Iowa, and they were putting shot up after shot, and I was just like, oh, keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. I like the pace. It was a great thing. I came back from a COVID test, sat down, watched them for about an hour, and I was like, wow, I am just along for the ride. It is just so much fun and then to wrap this up my pick to win it all you're gonna go wow look at you picking the obvious team it's gonna be Gonzaga they look miles better than everyone else they're such a team oriented a team oriented team if you want to put it like that but they shoot the ball while they have multiple guys and get points every night they are fun to watch they're a dom- they're a fun dominant team to watch some dominant teams you're like oh, I don't really want to watch them day in and day out because you know the end result there's not going to be a team that's going to challenge them but they were really fun to watch. 
So that is my pick to win it all, Gonzaga. I have Florida State in a bracket to win money, so I'm kind of crossing my fingers on that one. I hope that I can win some money. That would be nice to have for the summer, so we'll see. So I want to transition to New York. If you've been following this podcast for a while, you can go back. I actually went back to see my take, and while the quality of the video does not hold up to the standard that we have today, it is very interesting because I had some bold predictions. I guess I was thinking if I had some bold predictions, I'd get more. No- I'd get noticed more. I was thinking, man, if I do this and that, but I stand by it. I said that Joe Judge, after the Seahawks-Giants game with Colton McCoy at quarterback, they were going to win, not only win the division, but Joe Judge was going to win Coach of the Year. And before that, I was even more wrong because I said that Mike McCarthy was the best hire, followed by Ron Rivera, which I was kind of accurate on, ended up winning the division. New York was the third, and that they were going to not be able to put it all together. Joe Judge was a Belichick disciple. Thinking I was this, I was three episodes in thinking I was this aficionado calling this dude a Belichick disciple. And I was wrong. The Giants were doing good. They were playing great defense. Good team football. Colt McCoy, I'm going to use this team phrase a lot because it's going to play into what I'm talking about later. But the Giants really impressed me. They were able to run the ball well. I was like, wow, okay. This team can only do better from here when they get Daniel Jones back. And then they fell apart. But they end up finishing 6-10. and 10. And if it wasn't for Philadelphia having their Jalen Hurts, Nate Sudfeld disaster, oh, you can go another episode there. I talked about that as well. And I think they would they would have won the division if the, the numbers were right. I think they would have won the division based on tiebreakers. And I was like, Joe Judge should win Coach of the Year because not only did he inherit a pretty poor Giants team, he took them to heights they haven't been to in a while, which is, I mean, not a while being like a couple years because they made the playoffs in 2016, but... They had some stability for the first time in a little bit. So I was like, wow, Joe Judge, Coach of the Year. But they ended up missing the postseason. But I'm not going to stand by and just take away the statement because I'm really a believer of Joe Judge. I said this in Episode 3 and I'm going to say in Episode 21. I believe in Joe Judge. The Giants in free agency, I remember, I think the cap was a little off, so they had to make some moves to be able to fill that up. But once they had the money... They made some moves. They re-signed Leonard Williams and Nate Solder, two centerpieces on the offensive and defensive line, respectively. Respectively, not perspectively. They acquired John Ross, Devontae Booker, Kyle Rudolph, and most importantly, Kenny freaking Galladay, the best receiver I, by far in this class, as free agent class of 2021. And I was like, wow, the Giants are really going all in for Daniel Jones. They're going to have a great offensive line, and they're probably going to keep building around that. They have a high pick. They'll probably use that on offensive linemen. They might trade up. They're going to have Sterling Shepard, Darius Lane, and Kenny Galladay as his receivers, along with Kyle Rudolph at tight end, and Evan Ingram. I have completely forgot about Evan Ingram. Very talented tight ends. It is all on Daniel Jones. Not like all on him, but like he's got all of the weapons, all of the pieces. I was watching The Herd, or listening to it on the way back from my COVID test, and he was saying now, this is what the Browns did with Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, OBJ, Jarvis Landry. I don't want to use someone else's take as my material for a podcast, but he was absolutely right. Daniel Jones has all the weapons now. The defense is solid. They're going to win you games if the offense can get together. And that's what they did last year. They won on not turning over the ball and good defense. And if Daniel Jones can clean it up a little bit and Saquon Barkley comes back healthy in a weak, weak, weak division. I, I have no other words other than weak because you don't know what the hell the Eagles are. Howie Roseman, the situation with the head coach, his press conference was awful. We don't know who's the quarterback going to be. 
Washington football, Ryan Fitzpatrick may win you seven games, but I don't think he's the answer at QB. I don't know what Dallas is going to be. They signed Dak Prescott, and I think that's eight or nine games, but if that defense is the same, oh, it's going to be a rough year for Cowboys fans. Your offense can be as spectacular as it can be, but if you have a top, you have a bottom 32 defense, and you're sitting at 32, you're not winning many games. I don't care what division you're in. That's just not how it's going to go. It's not going to cut it, so... My Mike McCarthy thing <laughs> sitting at one is not looking so hot right now. So I think that if I was going to make an early prediction, I would say the Giants are going to win the NFC East. They're not going to be this 13-3 and team, but they're going to be good. I think 10-6 and is a fair record for New York, especially if Daniel Jones improves. Like, he's on this upward trend. I don't think he was worth pick six, but I think he's starting to show that he's an NFL starting caliber quarterback. And I think he's pretty good. I think you take away the turnovers, there's some athleticism there. There's a lot of good throws. He's really accurate. I like Daniel Jones for the New York Giants. I think he fits that mold and you take that New York pressure that comes with being a QB in such a big city. So I'm really excited for Detroit. I can say Detroit because of Kenny Galladay. I'm really excited for New York and then moving forward as a, as a franchise with Joe Judge in year two, with OTAs, with training camp. That stuff is so important because they're going to be able to build a chemistry they're going to be able to have a like understanding what their weaknesses are, what their strengths are. Going into week one, they're probably going to play Dallas. And they're going to have a game plan. They're going to be ready to go. They got their core back plus some new firepower. And let me say, John Ross, that signing might be the most underrated signing in free agency. Because I feel like in Cincinnati, yeah, he's been hurt. And you're going to go, whoa, 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 Grayson, 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 calm down. Let's not be super bold here. But if John Ross can get his feet wet in New York and stay healthy, he could be a deep threat like they've never seen before. He's pretty speed. He's pretty speedy. And if he's able to hold up to that reputation that Cincinnati wished he could become, it could be really dangerous. And he's not even going to be their top three receiver. He's going to be at four. My mind is being blown right now. It's crazy. So when we come back, when I return, we're going to talk about Georgia football. If you're a Georgia football fan, you might want to stick around so you can challenge me in the comments. I This is going to be my one of my more negative takes. So I'm sorry in advance, but we're going to talk about Kirby Smart, George Football, and my personal gripe with them. This is the Man With Playing Podcast, and we'll be right back. All right, and we are back. This is the Man With Playing Podcast, episode 21. If you stuck with this episode for this long, you know it's about to come. So, growing up, I think I didn't watch a lot of football to start out, and I this is my biggest regret in life. I didn't watch enough football, like, from, I think from the first grade to the third grade. I started watching football really into it, really in-depth, in about the fourth grade. The first college football game that I vividly remember that's not Clemson-related was the Georgia-Alabama SEC Championship game. And I remember my, my dad was glued to the TV. This was a game, I didn't understand the gravity of the game. This was Georgia-Alabama to fight for a spot in the national championship. Winner was probably going to beat Notre Dame and beat them soundly. So there was a lot riding on this. And Georgia ends up losing. I've watched the highlights of the game before. Georgia had opportunities to win. And it was just one of the greater games, greater SEC championship games. And for a long time, I never understood why that game was so important. Because... For as long as I can remember watching football, the reputation of Georgia as a football program was 
the school that always had all the talent, the school that had consistently posted 10, 11 win seasons, but when it mattered the most, the program doesn't have much to show for it. Yes, they've won national championships in the past, but I'm talking about recent. Georgia football always had the talent, the recruits. They always had the brand. It was very recognizable. You go, oh yeah, Georgia football, that's a, gr- that's a good football program. That's a team that competes for a national championship. And you're going to think, well, Grayson, what's the problem with Georgia football right now? And the more I think about it, the more Kirby Smart and Mark Richt are the same. And I, I talked to my dad. I, I talked to my dad a lot about this podcast stuff. Like, what do you think's good for a take and stuff? I was like, what do you think about this? And while I don't remember his answer very vividly, I remember it was good enough for me to roll with this. So I want to start with just progressing through it. So Mark Richt gets fired for the same thing that I'm bringing up right now. Good recruiter, good guy, nothing controversial about him, just couldn't win the big game. And they hired Kirby Smart. And for the first season, they did okay. They beat Liberty, and I don't know what bowl it is. They went 8-5, and five. I checked the records. And then the second year, they had freshman Jake Fromm, who replaced Jacob Eason, was the transfer to Washington. And Jake Fromm takes Georgia as a freshman with a plethora of talent with running back core of Sonny Michelle, Nick Chubb, and you're like, whoa, 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 that's, that's pretty stacked, all right? And they take them to the Rose Bowl. They beat Oklahoma in a comeback. Very, very, very impressive game. I remember being in New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl, that disappointing Kelly Bryant semifinal. My goodness. Ugh. Kelly Bryant. I just makes me upset. Makes me mad. But anyways, I'm watching Georgia football. I go, wow, they came back. Double overtime. It was a great game to watch. And the national championship, they're up by 20 against Alabama. And I was all Georgia because I was so salty, so upset about the Clemson game. It's like, Georgia, please win this. And this was the same year of the Falcons Super Bowl. So you were, <laughs> there was a lot of uh, animosity. Or like the, it was the, the same meme, not the same year. But the Atlanta choke and the Georgia Bulldogs choke. The 20 to nothing and the 20 to 3 was synonymous with each other. As the mini me or something like that. And I didn't understand it still. I was like, why does Georgia get clowned on like this? And then they go to the Sugar Bowl the next year, and Texas just stomps on them. And I was just so confused. I was like, wait, this team was competing for a national championship. And the excuse was the motivation wasn't there, which I find a problem. Immediately, I'm like, red flag, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know you're not completing for a playoff, but it's still a football game. There's, like, pride and passion on the line. And everyone thought for six months that Texas was back, and then they absolutely were not. And they went back to the same bowl, beat Baylor, their backup quarterback at Baylor, mind you. And I'm thinking, there's something off. There's something off. That same year, they got blasted by LSU. But I, in my mind, I've kind of left in them an excuse because it was LSU. It was this mega team. LSU, that team that beat Clemson in the national championship, is one of the best, one of the best teams of all time. They went 15 to zero. Joe Burrow won the Heisman. Set the passing touchdown record, 61. Wow. He definitely earned that number one overall pick. So I gave Georgia a pass there. But as we keep going, I keep thinking, why isn't Georgia back in the national championship? Don't they have the recruits? Don't they have the talent? And something hit me. I made the comparison a couple weeks ago. I was. It's one of these things where you're like driving and you come up with this idea and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to write that down. I wrote Georgia and Clemson. And you're going to go, why Clemson? 
Well, during Taj Boyd, if you remember Taj Boyd, he was a very productive quarterback. Clemson was a very talented team, kind of like Georgia. They were very talented, had a lot of recruits, had the recognizable brand. They're like, oh, Clemson's a very good football program. Dabo Sweeney, I know that. Not, not controversial guy, never caused any problems. But Clemson never could win the big game. And Dabo's thing for a long time, the monkey on his back, was he had someone in the state who was miles ahead, Steve Spurrier. They beat South Carolina, beat the snot out of Clemson for a lot of years. The fear of the thumb. And Jimbo Fisher in the ACC was winning national championships with Jameis Winston, who was a problem. That caused a lot of issues. I know he won the Heisman, but he was not a very well-received character in college. And I was like, wait, Georgia is what Clemson was without Deshaun Watson. And we're going to leave that stuff with Deshaun Watson that's going on. We're going to just leave it out. But what Deshaun Watson brought Clemson was a guy who was all-in, bought into the all-in system, and got a team that was probably not ready to win a national championship and carried it on his back. Which is why I think Deshaun Watson is one of the greatest college football quarterbacks of all time. Because he brought Clemson to heights they probably would have never been had he not attended the school. And ironically, Georgia turned him away because they didn't want him to play quarterback. They thought he could play tight end. And they said, hell no, there's no way I'm playing tight end. I'm going to go play quarterback. And I think for Georgia, their problem has always been they had the recruits. Maybe they have the coach. I think Kirby Smart's a great coach, a Saban disciple. And ironically, the guy that he, his, his master, if you want to quote unquote, like a master and apprentice type thing, he can never shake that Saban monkey off his back. That SEC championship game can't win the big one it's always stuck with me with Georgia and I'm gonna bring on a super fan in short time and I hope that she challenges this and brings some perspective because she's a Georgia nut she loves Georgia not like a bad nut but she is such a personality I cannot wait for you guys to have her on the show and listen to her she's very insightful when it comes to college football so maybe she's gonna put come on the show and just blast me and say you're wrong this is not Georgia football Grayson, you are incorrect, and I'll take it. I will own this take because I stand by it. I think Georgia is Clemson with Taj Boyd without the Deshaun Watson that came after it. Maybe that's JT Daniels. Maybe I don't see the talent. But it's bothered me that Georgia is, for the la- for as long as I've been watching football, they've had this reputation of a national championship team that competes but can never, everyone kind of figures out there's going to be a game that Georgia can't win. They never were able to win the big one. Another another comparison I want to throw out there might be the Cincinnati Bengals with Andy Dalton. They were talented, recognizable brand. They had a good head coach, not controversial. They made the playoffs for five straight years, and you go, where's the problem with that? They didn't win a single playoff game. They never progressed from where they started. They made so much, they made so many strides, but once they got to that big goal, they were stuck there. They were climbing the mountain, and they just got stuck halfway through. They weren't able to reach that pinnacle, that top. And that's always Georgia football to me. Until they win a national championship in my lifetime, they will always be the team that's halfway at the mountain. They've climbed really far. They've gotten to the place they want to be. But there's something bigger than every one of them at that program that they've been chasing for so long. I think of Georgia more than ever, they kind of need that sense of urgency. They need to attack each day like, they're not their job necessarily, but the program, their reputation, I might be completely wrong about this, and you guys might be just watching in disgust. They're like, oh my gosh, you've been too controversial. This is a terrible take, but I'll stand by it. Georgia football is the Cincinnati Bengals with Andy Dalton and the Clemson Tigers with Taj Boyd. 
So that's my rest on that. That's my case. I've laid the case, I've laid the facts, and somewhat of the evidence. If you want to challenge it, please do. Leave a comment. Text me on Instagram, DM me. Tell me, Grayson, you're wrong, and here's why. I'd love to know, because I am not a Georgia fan. I don't know it, like you guys do. So that is all of that for today. Thank you guys so much, as always, for tuning in. This podcast is so much fun to make. You guys are a big reason of that. I keep pushing myself to make better content for you guys and putting myself out there for more and stronger takes so you guys can feel free to challenge it. I'm trying to broaden this this channel to more or less not just football, but college football topics, basketball topics. Whatever you guys want on here, I want to provide the best and possible most entertaining stuff for you guys. As always, thank you for tuning in. This is the Man with the Plan podcast. Have a fantastic day and take care. Thank you.